I enjoy running. I actually, I, I run a lot. It's something that I really enjoy and um, something that relaxes me. But there are times when it's not fun. There are times when it's just simply a chore. But even when it's a chore, I still do it so that when it's fun, I can still do it. That's the reality of it. There are times where things that you might otherwise really enjoy are actually a chore. I'm sure many of you with jobs have experienced this. You might love your job, but one week your job might be a chore. You might love some particular activity with your family, but one week it might be a chore. There are times where things that normally we would love are chores, are hard work. That happens. Let's look at our scripture memory verse of the month. Colossians 3.23. Read it with me. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Colossians 3.23. Whatever we do, we're called to work at it with all our heart as working for the Lord in whatever we do. In order to do that, I think we have to acknowledge something. I think we have to acknowledge that God alone is worthy of our complete respect and devotion. And so today we're going to look at the reality of the struggle that sometimes we might have when we serve God. It might at times be a struggle and that's okay, but we're going to look at that and we're going to look at the fact that in order to understand that reality, in order to overcome that reality of the struggle, we have to look at the past at God's blessings, and look towards the future in order to do so. So you can turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3, and uh, we'll read this in just a minute. In Malachi chapter 3, we're going to talk about fearing God or what you might call revering God. When we read the term fear God, it doesn't mean have a phobia of God. It means that you revere, that you're in awe, that God receives the highest honor. The book of Malachi we've been in, and this will be our last week in the book of Malachi. We've been in the book of Malachi in the month of July. Remember that the nation of Israel was deposed to Babylon. Well, sorry, I should back up. The nation of Israel was deposed to Assyria. The nation of Judah was deposed to Babylon. In 539 B.C., Cyrus ordered the people to return back to the land and rebuild the temple. Sixteen years later, they had not finished the task, and Haggai entered the scene and said, get to work, get it done. By 520 BC, they were working on the temple, and a few years later, they completed the temple. Now, almost a hundred years later, the people have fallen into a state of, eh, life is life. Life is hard. Sometimes serving God is hard. Probably not worth it. That's, that's the attitude the people have fallen into. And Malachi enters the scene, and he gives several commands. Last week, it was that God is just, and this week, it is that God deserves our reverence. So read with me. Malachi 3, verses 13 through 18. Malachi 3, starting in verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. 
What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Malachi's message starts with the reality of the struggle. There is a genuine struggle. At times, serving God may feel futile. The reality is there. We can't sugarcoat it. There are times in life when you are serving God and you might wonder, what's the point? Nothing is working. Everything I had planned just got moved back because the pews aren't going to be ready. I actually was, took a couple days off. I had written this sermon before I knew about that. I wonder what God was doing. There are times where serving God might feel pointless. But the reality is that we're fallen creatures. We are the ones that are fallen. We are the ones that have a sin nature. And look at what the people do. In their face of their reality of the difficulties of serving God, the people speak arrogantly against God. They go too far. It's okay. I'm convinced. It's okay to at times be like, God, I'm struggling. To at times say, God, I just, I'm, I need some encouragement because I don't see the point of this. But it is not okay to go too far. And that's what the people do. They begin to speak arrogantly. Um, the Hebrew word here, kazak, really carries the idea of combatively. It's, it's a very strong word. They are, you know, speaking out against God with combative words. You all know what this is because you've done it to somebody before, Right? <laughs> hopefully not your spouse too often, but where you say something kind of bold to your spouse to see if they'll argue back with you. Yeah. That, that's, I think, the idea here that's going on is the people are speaking against God and they're doing it in a way that's combative. They're saying, it's futile to serve you, God. It's a waste of my time. There are times where serving God is hard. That is reality. Let's be honest. Sometimes serving God requires more than we want to give. Sometimes God might ask you for more than you want to give. Sometimes God might ask you to sacrifice something that would bring you otherwise great pleasure. Sometimes God's rules seem to work against our very nature. Right? We think to ourselves, you know, this is so deeply embedded in what I want. It's got to be right. But the reality is that we serve a God who is sovereign, and so we can trust him. You know, in fact, it's sometimes evil people even prosper. Sometimes evil people prosper in this world. That is the reality that we're faced with. Three realities. We're fallen creatures. We sometimes go to battle against God because of our sin nature. 
There are times where serving God is hard, and sometimes evil people even prosper. But that doesn't change the fact that God is sovereign. That doesn't change the fact that God is good. So, let me give you an action step. Confess your fallenness and struggles to God. That's the solution. That's the way to initially deal with the fact that serving God is hard, is to tell God it's hard. Not arrogantly in the fallenness that occurs here, but to humbly go before God and say, this is hard, God. I am struggling. I need encouragement. So that's the first few verses. Kind of heavy, hard verses. But what follows here in Malachi, I think, is one of the most beautiful passages that I have to admit up to probably about four weeks ago when I first started studying this. I had no idea it was here, even though I've read through this book at least 50 times. Verses 16 through 18 are beautiful, beautiful verses. Because what we see is the solution. The solution are corporate reminders of what God has done. When it feels futile, when you question how are we going to do this or what is God doing or is he even behind this, the solution is corporate reminders of what God has done. You see, here's the reality. You're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. There's always other faithful servants. Elijah, in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, after his great victory on Mount Carmel, comes down and he gets pretty depressed, flees to Mount Sinai, meets with God in Mount Sinai and says, God, I don't know what to do because I'm the only person left who worships you. I'm alone, God. There's nobody here with me. And God says, hold up, wait. I reserve several thousand that are back in the land. You need to go back there because I have people to encourage you. I have appointed Elisha who is going to come alongside you and be a great encouragement to you. The reality is there are always other faithful people and God wants us to corporately draw on the faith of others. That's exactly what happens in verse 16 of Malachi 3. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Those who revered God, those who honored God in the light of discouragement of verses 13 through 15. Those who feared God talked to each other. I don't know exactly what they talked about. It doesn't say. My guess is maybe they publicly repented of sin. They had spoken arrogantly against God earlier. Maybe they publicly repented of sin. Perhaps they offered words of encouragement to each other. Maybe they edified one another, talked about who God was. Maybe they simply just spoke the truth of what God had done to each other. We don't know exactly what they did. All we know is that they began talking with each other. And that instituted the second reality of this section, which is the reality that God notices acts of reverence. God noticed. To me, that's really cool. 
They're talking to each other about God. And what is God doing? Listening. Listening to what the people said. He listened and he heard. Two, two important things, right? Have you ever been told, well, you might be listening to me, but you're not hearing me? No, God listened and heard. God is transcendent. He is far above us. He is far more than we can possibly imagine. But he is also imminent. And that he is present, listening and hearing. He accepts our worship. He accepts our praise. God notices when we revere him. Not only does God notice, but God has a record of those who revere him. Keep looking. He listened and heard. And then what happens? He has a scroll of remembrance, some document to record this. Okay, this might be figurative language. It might be literal language. It doesn't really matter. What matters is God is keeping a record, a permanent record of those who revere him, of those who are taking time to honor him. God listened, he heard, and he recorded. This act of God signifies that he not just is taking notice, but he is recording what the people are doing. He is giving honor to those who honor him. That, to me, is the verse that just sort of blew me away when I was reading through this and studying this. God listened God heard, God recorded. That's significant. So I have an action step for you. And this is my interactive action step. So here's what you can do. In your bulletin, there is a handout. Or you can do it right here. You can take your phone. You can snap the QR code. I want you to take a minute and either write it in the bulletin and put it in the offering plate or just fill it out here right on your phone. And I want you to record a memory of how God has blessed over the last year through our Together We Grow campaign. How has God blessed us? How has God blessed you? Write it down. Use your cell phone. Either way is fine. I'm going to give you a minute, though, to record something down. And I will, too, do it. Give you just a minute more to do that. These are going to come up again sometime in September during our dedication service, I think. So, as we celebrate what God has done. The act of talking about what God has done is what I would call corporate conversations corporate reminders of what God has done, they are incredibly beneficial to the body. We should be talking about God. We should be sharing with each other about the amazing things God has done, bragging on our God. Look at verses 17 and 18. The future. God will bless those who serve him. That is a reality that we all must notice, is that God will bless those that serve him. Verse 17 says, on the day. The day, the word day there, is a reference to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is mentioned throughout scripture. Um, It is actually a series of days. There are multiple days of the Lord. 
But the idea of the day of the Lord is a day when God acts decisively to judge sin and bless the righteous. Okay? Now, just to be clear, the righteous are not those who have just done lots of good things. That's not what righteous means. The righteous are those who live by faith, who have accepted Jesus Christ's payment for their sins, have exchanged his righteousness for ours. That is the idea of the righteous. Here, the righteous were those who in faith followed God. Righteousness is faith. The day of the Lord is the day when God acts. And so there's a reality here. A reality that applied to them as people who by faith follow God and a reality that applies to us today. If you are a Christ follower, then you are a treasured possession of the God of the universe. If you are a Christ follower, that means somebody who's accepted Jesus Christ, died on the cross and paid for your sins, and that you depend completely on Christ's death for your sins. If you are a Christ follower, then you are a treasured possession of the God of the universe. The idea of treasured possession first came up in Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6. So I'm going to take you there in my Bible for just a second because I want to read this to you. Exodus 19 is where God first starts referring to people as his treasured possession. And starting in verse 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Are God's treasured possession. What does that mean? God owns the whole universe. What does it mean to be his treasured possession? They got their own. But there were some baseball cards that got their own special sleeves and got put in their own special notebook. Not all of them, because there's no way my mom would have let us do that because we had boxes of these things. But some of them were treasured possessions. We, as Christ followers, are God's treasured possession. The Bible tells us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Okay? He owns the universe. He created the universe. But God has set aside those who follow him as a treasured possession. He has set you aside, put you in the special sleeve, and set you in the special notebook as his treasured possession. The second point here, the second reality, is that if you are a Christ follower, then you are a child of God. That's the metaphor even that's used here in verse 17. As a father, his compassion and spares his son who serves him. We are children of God if you follow Christ. Uh, Romans 8 gives you that if you want a a reference for this. Uh, Romans 8 verses 18 to 19 talks about being God's children. Those who accepted Jesus as their Savior are God's children. Actually, it talks about they're awaiting the revelation of the children of God. What we enjoy today is just a partial fulfillment of what it truly means to be God's children. We are awaiting that revelation where we will fully understand. But if you follow Christ, then you are a child of God. Verse 18 reminds me of my third reality here. If you are a Christ follower, then you await a future 
dwelling with God. You await a future dwelling with God. Verse 18 is all about distinction. It says, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. We have a dwelling with God because we will be distinguished from those who do not follow Christ. The whole point of verse 18 is that God will make a distinction one day and he will bless abundantly his own. The time is coming when God will bless his own. God will bless those who serve him. I won, when I was at the university, I won the uh, Distinguished Teaching Award. And the way it worked out, it was interesting. Um, Because I found out that I won the award before it was formally announced. Which is fine. I didn't care. I won the award. But I just sat on it for a little bit. And then eventually they gave me a check, and that was nice. (laughs) But that's kind of how this works here. Okay? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've won the award. You are his treasured possession. You are a child of God. You have a dwelling in heaven. You know it. But it hasn't been revealed to the rest of the world yet. One day, it will be. One day, you will possess the award. That's the idea going on here, is... In verses 13 through 15, they said, it's futile. What's the point? Serving God is just, it's exhausting, and it it feels like I'm not. I'm just spinning my wheels. Then they talk to each other, and they determine, no, we will serve God. And God responds and says, and I will bless. God's blessing will come. Let's read chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. Before we do that, though, I need to give you my action step because I forgot to give you that. Sorry. Action step. Uh, Take some time to praise God for his gift of salvation. We know that we're blessed. Let's take some time to praise him for that. We'll do that when we sing. Now, from Malachi chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb in all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The promise that's given in Malachi chapter 4. The promise, the day of the Lord will be like fire to the wicked, and sunshine to the reverent. Which will you choose? The day of the Lord will be like fire to the wicked and sunshine to the reverent. The first thing here is that the day of the Lord will consume and destroy the wicked. The picture here of a burning fire is a burning furnace 
Those of you who have ever lit a bonfire know the difference between a fire and a furnace. One's under control, the other requires the fire department. Okay? The idea here is of a furnace. God is in complete control when he acts. Yes, God is going to one day come and act. The day of the Lord is coming. God will judge the wicked, and it will be under complete and total control. And its destruction will be total. No root, no branch will remain. But that's the wicked. That's fine. That's whatever it is. What I like is the day of the Lord will heal and energize those who revere God. We're told that in the day of the Lord, righteousness will pervade like sunshine. Now, today the sunshine might be a little bit much for you. It sounds like it's going to be a hot one. And our softball team has their playoff game, so that'll be fun. But I like to think about, you know, March when you've been inside all day or all month and towards the end of March you start to go outside a little bit and feel the sun rays coming down on your face and it warms you and it just brings a lot more joy in your life, just the sun itself does. That's the picture here. Righteousness, like the rays of the sunshine striking your face after being stuck inside all day long. Righteousness will heal. There's another metaphor used here. Um, Culture matters, right? Uh, I I don't think that if you told people that they're going to frolic like well-fed calves, that might not go over quite as well in our culture. But, (laughs) But it did for the Israel. It meant something to them. It's the picture, though, of carefree. God's day of the Lord will bring for the righteousness plenty. Carefree enjoyment. Remember what they had asked in verses 13 through 15. What's the point? It's serving God as futile. And the answer is no, it's not. Because the day of the Lord is coming. So the reminder is in verses 4 through 6, the day of the Lord is coming. Make sure that you are ready. For the Jews in Malachi's day, being ready meant revering God by obeying the laws of Moses. For us today, being ready for the day of the Lord means accepting that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That's all that is required to be ready for the day of the Lord, to enjoy the righteousness as sunshine, to frolic like the well-fed calves. What's required of us is simple. Revere God by accepting that Jesus died on the cross in payment for our sins. So what's the point? What's the action step? Determine here and now to revere God. That's the key. And that reverence for God is the vision that we as a church need to have for the next 30 years. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is acting. And while at times it might seem futile, we know that you have promised us it's not. While at times it may seem hard, we know that we're not in this alone, that you have given us others who are faithful, 
who faithfully revere you, to whom we can talk. Father, I pray that we would talk about you. Let words of your greatness, of your glory, of your wonder be quick on our lips. And Father, we know the future that you have for us is a future of blessing. As sons of God, as your treasured possession, as those who you have called to eternally dwell with you. So Father, I pray that we would revere you, that we would put in the work, put in the effort, that if there is any who have not accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, that they would see that that is the first need in their life. I pray that you would accept our worship as we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.